so the last time I think I saw you properly is in like had a chat and caught up, Georgie, is like 2018 around February time at a dinner party. So um, in as many or as few words as you would like, what has been going on in your life in what would be the last three years? <laughs> what a question to ask. Um, not much. Um <laughs> Uh, Great. Well, anyway, so don't be modest. It's a really so. Uh, should, should I break it down maybe into some steps? If I tell you what I actually, if if someone asks me what does Georgie do in Exfogard and I don't know, <laughs> should I break it down in that way? Yeah, Which I might... mean, I'm a sort of jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but yeah, for the sort of the last three years, I've been. Um, pursuing lots of passion projects which consists of uh, mostly writing theatre comedy and then also I've sort of had my I've had a, a job on the side my uh, my money hustle um, which has been in, in TV for the last uh, two and a half years now yeah so I'm just because I remember you uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you, in terms of entering TV, you started what you could say on the floor in terms of the production side of things? So did you enter as a runner? I sure going did. on that kind of. Did you then? Did you um, carry on the production track onto something like third or second AD, or did you kind of sidestep elsewhere? No, I sort of sidestepped actually. I so I started off working as a runner on Celebrity Big Brother, um, which was an amazing show to work on uh because it was such a well-oiled machine it's a show that had been running for many years and also just being a part of something that is live 24 hours a day is totally mad um so after i was a runner on that show i ended up being a pa to the executive producers for the next series which sadly ended up being the last series before it got um before it got axed <laughs> and then i actually ended up working as an assistant to the uh, managing directors of the company that used to make the program. Um, and then I, throughout the pandemic, uh, actually just sort of before the pandemic, started working in development just as a sort of assisting role, um, coming up with ideas for new um, game shows, fact ends, uh, reality, and then in... Uh, December, I got made redundant. Woohoo! <laughs> now we're back oh, to square gosh. one. But I think, I think most people are kind of in that position anyway. So I'm sort of yeah, waiting for the world to go back to normal a bit at the moment. I mean, um, something we've talked about a lot on the show. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how much in terms of when we're organising this, Tom. You you caught up with Georgia, one or if not at all. Um, but Tom at the moment, or both of us are sort of. Um, well, Tom's looking for work, and I'm on at work on paper but like the work is non-existent oh no so, are you on furlough no not at all because it's um because i signed up back with my old tutoring agency um it's technically self-employment oh nice um, and the, the work the work does exist um it just gets snapped up in the same five seconds that the emails get sent out uh-huh um but so i mean in in a sense we're all kind of in the same boat in a way which has some catharsis to it, even though like we we'd rather not be in that boat. Mm. Well, <laughs> um, I, I did mention, yeah, I mentioned that I got made redundant in uh, uh, like last July, yeah, from my job as a uh, as a as a proofreader for um, 
fuck how to explain it uh it's like uh yeah as, as a proofreader at this company that like modified exam papers for uh kids who are like partially sighted or blind so it was uh it was actually really good it just sucked that i've said it before but like it just really really sucks that like after a string of like unbelievably shitty jobs it's like the, <laughs> uh, the, the one job i get off like the the strength of my like my master's degree and then end up really really enjoying happens to be the job that i get made redundant from but whatever that's that's the way it goes but yeah so um also though i will correct you on one thing sam you say i've been looking for work i've been like i've not been looking that hard with it being covid <laughs> uh i just because i tried like for a little while to like find something but um out where i live there's like there is literally fuck all here it's just like warehouses and uh call centers and shit so uh yeah i think my my next thing is probably just moving to a city uh it's looking like manchester at some point uh just because it's closer than london and with london being so like sort of insanely expensive um i might try making a go of it in manchester first but yeah it's a bit annoying really I think it's a really good idea. I think lots of people are going to be doing that. And I think if like the pandemic's taught us anything, it's that you don't need to be in London. Whereas I think there's so much pressure on people, especially in the South, that like it's London or nothing. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's totally made me reconsider options and yeah, just like quality of life as well. Yeah, it's I just remember, a, a couple of people uh, we, we all know, I mean, of... of moved out of london so that was something that made me think oh maybe you know maybe it shouldn't be the be all and end all uh and then like it just sort of got me thinking as well as far as like the only reason i've been able to like be out of work from july and not like desperately be looking for a job is because i basically saved up a bunch of money um but like I could use theoretically i could use that money to like move to london but it'd be gone in like six months <laughs> just because of how expensive everything is so it's like shit maybe i should actually like maybe just try a different city maybe try manchester and maybe try and yeah, get a job Manchester's sorted great. and yeah i mean i've got family up there as well so again it's like it's a oh, really close nice. to really close to crew where i'm from and where i'm i'm living uh and b yeah I've, once i move there i've i've got uh people there that i can like you know that can sort of support me um but uh yeah it's uh no it, it fucking sucks at the moment <laughs> I, was, I was gonna throw all my money at traveling or at least um work experience in the field i was working in to try and facilitate a move abroad but then covid hit i mean i'll still try and keep what i can to go traveling but i think i mean even this year is still kind of um it still seems to be a bit hit and miss about even like European travel, just because lockdowns keep uh, people, countries keep going back back into lockdowns, um, and I think the there seems to be a lot of political football going on, um, possibly at the cost of uh, the health of civilians. But um, talking about London, actually, something I remember was I was having a conversation with a hairdresser, nonetheless about so this is when i was living in birmingham what what kind of the merits of living in birmingham are we sort of came to consensus but what he said was really interesting which is that um birmingham's somewhere where you can rock up and do a thing and if it doesn't work out that's fine you just do another thing and it's not just the expense but it's the kind of the the general kind of attitude like no one's really um 
sort of too high strung and no one's really like gonna judge you or kind of think differently of you for giving a few things a go or just taking it slow mm. and i guess also the the fact that a lot of it's a very young city it might at one point be the youngest city in europe in terms of the biggest population of under 30s but then again that might be facilitated by the fact that a lot of people stick where their families are in some like the west midlands but um whereas moving to somewhere like bristol or london they're great if you have like this big idea of what you want to do and you and sometimes somewhere like birmingham doesn't move fast enough or have enough facilities if you've got this big idea and you know that you're going to go for it but if you don't then you kind of get swept aside in like the sort of the the busyness tidal wave of some of these more like let's say metropolitan i don't quite know what the word is um but then, yeah, I mean, I've I've not lived in London, so I don't know how far... I mean, as someone who has lived in London, George, I don't know how far you'd say that is accurate. Oh, sorry, you just cut off the end there. What was that, sorry? Oh, that's all right. Um, how accurate... I mean, that idea of um, London being great for big ideas, but you can't really, like, mill about. You kind of need, like, a, a sort of a, a bedrock of an idea yeah, I for think living in London. Yeah, I think you need that. You also need a sugar daddy. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it is so expensive. And, yeah, when I was living in London, I, I really burnt through money just trying to live and also find myself. And, yeah, you you know there's i think there's still that attitude that you can have a side hustle you can make mistakes but you've got to you have to pay so much more for them um and i think it's it's really easy to get stuck in a particular job or a particular industry and it, it's it's more difficult to break away largely just because yeah you you if you leave your job to find another job or to change tact you've got a huge rent to pay and that's horrific um, but yeah, I've been living with my parents for the last two years, which has helped enormously, <laughs> financially, not psychologically. <laughs> yeah, I've, well, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I'm in the same position, except I've, uh, I've I've done six six years of uh, of hard labour in the parent <laughs> in the parent camp. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it is good financially. That's the thing. Is that's the only reason I've been able to like do anything it's because like i've had that safety net and like you know even though i've got a bit of money saved up like i haven't had to dip into it too much because yeah i've been able to sort of come back to the home base and kind of regroup but it just kind of sucks because like yeah i i sort of tried my best to like get some sort of job to like for me it was more to just save stuff to move out but yeah it's just like except for the job that i unfortunately got uh axed from um before that uh yeah the the jobs i was doing were like fucking shit like you know it's like i did like a bit of tech support and i just stick that for like four months um but just the people i was working with were just so horrible uh that that was the job where i was uh i was literally working with uh like the guy who was training me on how to like use the systems and like take tech calls was a sex offender so it was like it was a bit like oh this is horrible oh, <laughs> but um, yeah it was like uh yeah i know you teach me how to like fix these computers and stuff but i really don't want to like have to sit this close to you <laughs> but um that was awful and then um yeah just i was a substitute teacher for a bit uh but that was like it was done through agencies so i was getting like sent to like the worst schools and it made me just realize like just how much i hate 
teenagers. Um, <laughs> I, won't, I won't say kids because I've got like a I've got a young cousin now who's like I think she's nearly three. God, she's probably nearly four actually, but she's amazing. So like I don't hate children. I just hate uh, teenagers and adolescents. Um, yeah, and then I, well, those children will become teenagers one day. But not I if I didn't say about wasn't... it. No, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I like did a bit of uh, I, I worked for like a year in a in a call center just because my mate was a he was a team leader there, um, and he was just like I was just like I I think I went a year without being in work, and I was like oh I really need a job, and then my mate was just like all right come come work at my place, and uh, yeah that was awful, but I managed to do it for about eleven months, but yeah it's just like I. Yeah, the job market's always been quite scary to me, just because um, I don't know. It's really strange. I just find even more so now that I've come out of this proofreading thing. Like I've got this experience as a proofreader, but there's so little places that want that, um, and it's just hard to like know kind of what I want to do as a career because I, I like I don't want <laughs> I don't want a career. I just need money. So it is strange <laughs> to like try and have to find something that might be a good fit for me. But, uh, well, for about the last six, yeah. sorry, carry on, Tom. I no, no, I'm, I'm finished. I would say the um, for about the last six months or so, I was like prepping myself to do a PhD in Europe, partly or in a big way, as I now realise, or possibly ninety nine percent of the motivation is an easy way into the those countries after um, a quote unquote deal was eventually signed. But um, something very strange happened to me on Tuesday. I had a um, so I think this is like my last application for I think for this year. Afterwards, I'll get to look at other other options. But um, I was talking to a professor, a professor at the University of Strasbourg, and um, it was it was like it was like meant to be like an informal one to one. But there was a lot more like um, hard questions than you know I wasn't expecting. Um, I don't know what happened, but like I don't know. If, this is going to sound a bit strange. Have either of you ever had a panic attack? Oh God, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but not great. You know that feat. You know when, like, um, I don't know if you get this exact symptom, but it's almost like you're you've kind of had quite a lot to drink, but it's happened. It's kind of hit you all at once, and the sort of the room starts spinning, and, you, and you're sort of still able to carry on a little bit, but you're suddenly like, it kind of hits you thinking, like, am I going to fall over? That kind of initial sort of vertigo, um, if that's a symptom that you guys show as well. Uh, but I essentially felt that for about two seconds, and then I kind of snapped back out of it. But I was like, this is this that felt horrible. Um, I think I was like, "Gosh, it's uh, I've I've been terrified of commitment." I think I think it's been something I've been terrified of for a longer time, like actually sitting down and doing something. I, again, I like to have a sort of a smorgasbord of options, which means that I'm not I'm simply so uh, jack of all trades, master of fucking nothing. But um, so, like as an example, like I'm looking at doing a free course on counselling skills to see if that suits my fancy. Um, might look at TEFL if I decide that it's not a form of soft power. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's also like, it's quite nice in a way, not the circumstances of it, but having this lockdown period. For me, coming from where I was in Birmingham, like just the state I'd got into by the end of it, anything was better. So even if I've been with my mum in Norwich for a year, not really moving along in any regard, I've still been able to do the homework from therapy and like look at other options. It's like I net even though i didn't get to go traveling i'm still able to look at other options but um yeah point in case the uh the whole career thing is terrifying me as well and i think but also like 
we've probably talked about this, Tom, is that we're not surrounded by careerists. So you might know a handful of people like Ludo is in a like profession and is kind of on that track. Mm. Um, but maybe like, uh, well, Georgie, by the sounds of it, you've you've kept within the field. So like you 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 could argue you arguably have a career and have like, you know, you're within the field of work. But like it doesn't. We're not surrounded by people with either careers or down the family line. True. I th- Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's really subjective, though, and I hate the way that there is this uh, social pressure that you sort of have to have a career um, and that being on this planet, you have to stick to one thing and that you have to get very far in that one thing to equate to any level of success. Um, I think if there's anything I've learnt is that actually doing a variety of things, doing different jobs, even doing jobs that you really hate, um, that maybe isn't compared to your friends seen as high flying or high paid, uh, it helps you to develop so much more as a person. And I think that like, we should, I think we should start seeing instead of career, you should see you, you know, the different jobs that you do as different professional development, because that's the best thing you can take from in my opinion from from a job uh, even if you know you're you're picking fruit or doing something it's like how are you how are you learning to make yourself better at whatever it is that you're doing in that capacity um, yeah absolutely it's kind of what's nice about the term professional development is it also it also sits well with those business bullshitters because it's a nice little buzz phrase <laughs> yeah because I'm you could say ste- like stealing it if i well hopefully when i next get an interview for something i'm, I'm definitely robbing that phrase because <laughs> uh yeah i uh, having done shit jobs i mean yeah i think i think it's at the very least it's definitely taught me like what i don't want to do so um you know it, it so important yeah i think it, yeah yeah and 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 that's the thing is that it taught me that it's it, but it also taught me that like uh especially with the job that i just came out of it taught me like well i can also do something that's like even if it isn't amazing or super fulfilling i can i can do a job that's like just okay if if it means i get paid for it you know so i mean but because my, my plan at the moment is like hopefully if i do get to move to manchester or something I am pretty happy just taking like any kind of work just so long as the money's all right, you know? So, I mean, I'd be like perfectly happy if I, if I could be like a landscape gardener or something like it's, it's fine, you know, just some, just something that isn't like a, a complete drain on my brain. Yeah. Um, just something I can just do and just get a bit of money and that can like keep me afloat just so I can pursue stuff in the, uh, you know, so that I'm not completely exhausted in, say, the evenings where I can, like, pursue my actual, what I actually want to do. Exactly. And when we're all old, no one's going to care about your career, about money. They care about anecdotes, guys. It's all about the anecdotes, you know? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So you've got to have some good and bad experiences with jobs uh, in order to get those great stories. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm a bit of a, like, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, um, it's not sanctimonious. It's kind of it, it, pretentious isn't really the right word, but because I'm a wanker in that element, I sort of watch a lot of stuff like School of Life on YouTube. And there's an interesting segment about the idea of um, it's a way of combating this sort of lust for longevity of life. And actually, you could say that, for example, someone like Van Gogh, who um, started painting when he was... Uh, what it was like late late twenties and then only painted for about ten years. I might have got the numbers wrong, um, but arguably he lived 
more of a life within that shorter span of time and so actually you can kind of do like a dot product like arbitrarily and say that well if you have explored and you have made these fuck-ups that you're willing to talk about and you have had these moments of introspection and had these big changes and had and done the homework with your shadow side and whatnot then you could say that within the same time span as someone else you've kind of lived more years as it were mm. if that makes sense and, and that's as we were saying i think like I, I agree with you that variety is kind of is for me it, it sounds cliche but it's the spice of life and or looking other ways like i just like variety as as a person i think i'm wired that way i get bored of stuff easily even if i set out dogmatically to do it almost like then it was almost like by by the rhythm of a clock i'll then go on board of this now i want to do something else i'm so like easily distracted and kind of have so many ideas buzzing around my head not coherent but like um i do find it very hard to just sit and say like well i'm gonna do this for the next six months if someone told me that i'd be like Ugh. but yeah i might end up doing that naturally yeah, I also think that, like, there's so much sort of, like, uh, I don't know what the right expression is, but, like, reverse sexism attached to, like, the uh, the expectation that men have to, like, stay in a particular job and a particular career and should be working every single day. Whereas I think, you know, we're kind of in a new wave where actually it's nice when if your partner isn't always working or in between jobs or doing things, then you kind of have that sort of shared pressure on on like a household income yeah for sure there was um it, it just reminded me of a former colleague who's my master supervisor who he moved to norway because his wife's norwegian and um the way that they did paternity leave or like paid leave for looking after the child was the first year the mother went away and then at the end of that year the father goes away for a year yeah and That's so great. many studies have shown that like um having mum and dad around the house is good for baby is good for the relationship good for the dad which people wouldn't believe beforehand <laughs> um but also th- something which i think i've talked about with my mum a lot is that um where we've kind of progressed from the idea of the woman always being in the house looking after the kids is now kind of we're not quite there when it's like oh the woman can on the whole have a career by the same in the same opportunities as men it's actually well women expected to work really hard and look after the children there's still we, the gap still hasn't quite been bridged i don't think where um where you could say well you know either either one of them is apart from breastfeeding but both either parent is capable of taking the time off to look after children um i think that's that may be still the distance to go i don't know i mean this is just based on what i've seen anyway Mm, i don't think the pandemic's helped as well in terms of i think it's mainly just the responsibility of has fallen in the hands of a lot of women to homeschool and look after kids i dread to think what it must be like to be going through yeah. this situation with kids guys aren't you aren't you pleased we don't all have children uh yes. yeah no i yeah. yeah i um i can't i can't believe for all the years i was so like as a younger person so dogmatic about having children and, and getting married and then on separate occasions someone turned around to me and said oh, i don't believe in marriage just say like, i'm not interested in having children it's like you don't have to do that Oh my god! Yeah, um, it's it's a weird one for me because like I, like I mean I'm 27, uh, and I often like one of my sources of like getting super depressed is because like I've like never had a girlfriend or like never actually like dated or anything. So I always sort of joke that I'm like quite stunted, and like the past six years, so, sort of since I got out of uni and had to move back home, 
um you know I, I in my sort of more depressive states i sort of go like oh god like i've wasted six years of my life and i'll be like oh i really wish i wasn't so alone but on the other hand um I, like the amount of relationships that have been like you know destroyed by corona because like you know people have been cooped up together and really started to get on each other's nerves and stuff it, it kind of makes me sort of like feel slightly better of like well at least i'm quite fortunate in the sense that i've only got myself to look after uh and i'm not ruining anyone else's life <laughs> by, like, i mean even even i don't like my own company sometimes so i'm like god oh, dread dread so- dread to think if i like had a had a partner uh, and I was just like stomp- well, there's a balance to that, <laughs> stomping course. around, like- <laughs> sitting around in my underpants <laughs> playing video games. You know, at least they're not going to have to suffer because of me. But yeah, it's it's mad. The uh, it's crazy the effects that coronavirus and this whole culture that's emerged from it have like had <clears throat> on just daily life. Yeah, as far as like like you say with parents and families and stuff. I mean. I think if like certain families did homeschooling properly, I think the kids would actually get a much higher quality of education just because you those kids are essentially getting like university level uh levels of attention as far as, you know, you've got the person who's teaching you and it's just totally one-on-one. But I think the issue is is like you say, you know, uh a lot of the parents maybe can't be asked to actually homeschool their kids properly, uh you know, or because if they've think... got full-time jobs. It's just exactly. crazy how the so hell it's... do you do it? how can you yeah how can you actually expect the the yeah the people to yeah be able to homeschool the kids and like you know now that childcare options are sort of out the window but um yeah it's it's nuts yeah no i'm i'm well it, as, as 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 sad as i am still that i like don't have a partner and like don't have kids it's maybe good timing wise that i don't just yet yeah, and I think well, look, there's a lot to be said for actually just spending time working on yourself means that when you do re- meet the right person, you you'll make that person happier because they'll you, you know you'll just be a more confident, mature individual. So, sure. uh, I mean, I've dated men who haven't known who they are and had a horrible experience, and and yeah, it's not it's not worth it. Yeah, I was I was going to say that exact thing. I mean, I, I mean. Um, it's good. It's nice to hear it from the other side, as it were. Although, like, ideally, you, the, the dichotomy of men and women would, in terms of behaviours, the other side. <laughs> well, yeah, that's. I, I was thinking as soon as I said that. Is that like the Twilight like, Zone? Yeah, I felt a bit. I felt. I felt a bit icky when I said that because it's like, <laughs> no, hang on, a, hang on a minute. I'm now. I'm now treating. I'm now playing into the the stereotypes of the dichotomy but um like rod rod sterling but, like uh, imagine a world if you will uh <laughs> where there are beings that are a bit like men but they don't have penises and they have breasts <laughs> this is you are now entering the world of the other side i'm pretty sure there's an episode of the goodies where they made a sex ed video where they literally started it with this is a man and this isn't <laughs> um, but, oh, God. um yeah i think that was that was made in the 70s i should say yeah um but yeah, the I've in my sadder moments, I kind of still hold on to like, well, I've had all this time to be selfish, really, and like, I and I think I still haven't got a lot of selfishness out of me, like that. I know that's like you, that could be sort of self fulfilling if you believe that as a young person you can be selfish, but like, um, I with every passing year, I kind of go, well, I've worked on that, and I definitely wouldn't want to have in, you know, brought that de novo to someone else. Do you know what I mean? That's not really what relationship would be for i know that there's never like a perfect 
person you can be to enter it because you would never end up doing it but like it's um it's 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 good to hear like an anecdote where you say that well from someone who has met people who clearly haven't had that time this is what i experienced that's probably what i should have said (laughs) rather than the other side yeah Um, i think uh, the thing is i think we're all just more similar than we realize like we like to put these ideas of gender differences but ultimately like yeah we're all just we're all just finding ourselves and a relationship is really hard even some you know friendships are, are, are really hard you have to put a lot of work into it and you know you shouldn't I think take that for granted how hard it is otherwise you'll end up taking that person for granted I think god this has suddenly got very deep guys I'm uh... <laughs> well, well welcome welcome to the show <laughs> no, yeah this is good we we do uh yeah we, we do like to get deep on on this show it helps like I mean the formula that we have every week to a deadline is usually you know it usually goes oh, I'll say something politically incorrect and then like Sam will go really deep and then I'll agree with him and then I'll say something that'll like completely undermine the whole thing and ruin it you know it, this is like the way we like to the do yin things, and the so. yang yeah okay <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly no, no, yin and yang there's been times where well the, the thing about yin and yang is actually there's elements of the other within itself so you know the the sort of Taoist symbol where yeah. both sides have a dot of the opposing color inside that kind of is the idea that eventually that it'll it'll swap out with time it'll swap over and the sort of the amounts will change on each side um an example being in the episode where it's like the halloween episode which is like episode four i think we i said something like sort of more flippant like kind of going i I wonder what like a little hell would be like for you and i said for example you know being on the train when there's a stag do then tom took that a lot further and said well i actually went through hell and then talked about the job where you mentioned about being in the, the tech support so like that yes. so i think then it was not just i think that was a moment of real like insight which is it wasn't just me talking which i sometimes feel guilty of um i know that this is a talking show obviously because <laughs> there's no video attached to it uh not yet anyway but there, because there's no video attached to it it's just got to all be audio but i do sometimes uh I do sometimes kind of go like, I should really just let let this breathe a bit and just stop trying to fill dead air. Um, it is we also good, about... Georgie, you brought up like gender differences and stuff, though, because I do sometimes worry how much sort of scope this show has, just, you know, with it being two white men, uh, just talking about things that interest them. Um, but, I don't, <laughs> but also as well, because, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to actually get a different sort of viewpoint. Yeah, it's important. Everyone's going to see the world in a different way. But yeah, I suppose coming from different different backgrounds, I'm glad I can provide a, a female perspective. <laughs> I know that this like, um, I also we're also aware that we would never want it to be like tokenistic as well. Because like, I mean, th- thus far, all the guests we had are like, have been our friends and people who uh, we like chatting to and have like, have had a, a, a real range of different experiences. Um you know, obviously beyond beyond the perspective of protected characteristics and yeah like coincidentally uh i was, was going to talk about the listener stats and uh, thus far 100 percent of the listeners have been male so like i know that like if if someone said to me do you want to appeal to the male market i don't know what i do you know what i mean I, no <laughs> no exactly um but um, I mean, as it stands, eighty-three um, percent of the listeners are from the UK. Um, the 
think it's like 14% from the US and we still have the majority of US listeners are still from Ohio so you haven't put them off cool um, perhaps perhaps it's like a, there's a cathartic thing where like all the other shows are saying how great Ohio is and all the Ohioans are going hmm don't really believe you and switching off um, then we have less than 1% of listeners from the following six countries now is updated um, Russia that's been a standard since like the beginning uh, Germany that was introduced fairly recently uh i think a few episodes in we've got some german listeners um indonesia that was pretty early on in the process um i think singapore was fairly early on as well uh canada is a reasonably recent addition to the um to the united nations of plopcast um and the newest one is pakistan uh, so um do you think the German if listeners you... were maybe look, looking for the other Plopcast? Because there is another show called Plopcast that I think is German. That, yes, that, it, that, there is. That, okay, um, well that explains the German listeners then. Well, I think we said that like let's we'll try and poach the listeners from um, Plopcast um, Germany. Uh, I mean, I I've not I should I should listen to their show. If I mean, if I can understand any, I think it's all in German, but. Um, Here's me being bigoted, expecting it to be in English, but um, but that's I, I promised a bit of a breakdown of the listeners. I thought that was just this quite interesting, and I imagine um, it, it might even be people just typing something incorrectly into a search engine. And oh, I meant I meant I'm podcast. Sh- I'm sure it is. I meant I meant uh, podcast because that's how people just search the word podcast and just listen to the first fucking thing. Um, I'm fucking rambling here. Uh, we talked a bit about, um, in terms of like what what we've been up to in like the last two years. And Georgie, you talked about your passion projects in terms of like th- comedy theatre. Um, something I think I think Tom, you were able to ask was um, if you if you can pinpoint a reason. Like, do you remember what got you into acting and that side of theatre in the first place, Georgie? That's a really good question. Uh, not especially. I mean, um, my my mother's quite creative. My grandmother was an actress. Uh, it was always seen as something that I could do, I suppose, which in itself, I think, is... You, you take it for granted, but it is a privilege. Um, and, yeah, and I just sort of got a lot of pleasure from writing things creating things and then it was only really after being at university that I was like oh my god I can do comedy that's that's a thing that's accessible and it's really fun and um yeah from there I just I just carried on writing doing stuff and um I'm at a point where those things have still got traction and they're still going and 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 they're getting bigger each year so that's really exciting but it's still it's still not financially viable um you still it's very difficult to get to a point where you actually make money from that um so i'm still still in that process of trying to get there i'm pleased to hear that as you say there are things that get better each year which kind of to me that implies that there are partnerships groups uh projects or um, individual show pieces that um, are still carrying on for you because I think the only as I might have mentioned no I was mentioned in the conversation before the show um, that I saw you is in the more lit- in the more literal sense 
in 2019 when you did your show with Cass about um it was a sort of a sketch show with with a sort of something of a like chronological order to a degree about um like entering the workplace as a grad and kind of that more sort of correct me if i've got this completely wrong but like there's sort of elements of surreal and it was quite silly but all around the idea of um even after all this this amazing experience university like still finding yourself in the sort of the business bullshit and still apparently out of your depth would that be correct yeah definitely it was about pretty much what we've been talking about getting a foot on a career ladder and getting a foot in the door in any industry um and all the hypocrisy and bureaucracy that comes with that um yeah that was our debut show as thick and fast which is the name that we operate under as a double act so um i don't know if you want i mean i I can understand if things are being kept under wraps if you're trying to build up like publicity or you're still kind of working things out together but um is Thick and Fast still coming up with more shows? I know that the pandemic doesn't present the opportunities to showcase them, but is that kind of a thrust that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, we had a dark year, sort of, and I mean that as in just like theatres going dark, not necessarily yeah. mentally, although also mentally as well. <laughs> some, re- um, some really dark <laughs> things happened that year. It, yeah. was, a ba- it was a bad year. <laughs> but um, as of... Uh, January 2021 um, we became artists in residence at Applecart Theatre um, in East London and we've been working on creating a new show which um, is going to be live streamed on the 8th of April and then it's getting a two-week run um, which is really really exciting and we have developed this show that's called uh, General Secretary and it's about two people completely uh, unprepared asked to get asked to um take over the world and it's about that process of what you would do if you were in that position um and it's a comedy and um the 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 two people are quite inept uh and we have pre-recorded scenes from it um and then we live stream some of it so it's sort of like this multidisciplinary piece that's half theater half kind of like youtube um and with sprinklings of sort of like a lot of it is very much post-pandemic comedy or it's it, it's mid-pandemic comedy i suppose there's lots of satire and um comedy in the show that that kind of it doesn't mention corona but a lot of it is has just come out of this like strange global situation that we're all having to deal with and <laughs> mismanagement of power <laughs> Mm, that, that, that sounds awesome. Do you, know, do you know what time yeah. yet on the 8th of April? Yes, it's at 8pm and it will be live streamed every day at 8pm uh, through the Apple Cart website. And um, yeah, you can buy a ticket if you just give them a little Google. Nice. Well, we'll, uh, you... we'll watch it as well, though. If we find if we That's get say, if you... the link, we can put it in the description of this episode. Oh, brilliant. That's a good idea, actually. Thank you. Because um, I need to go, so get, my all t- ten need people, to go get my you ticket. You can get one or two more tickets, but... Um, I mean that's more affection on the show rather than our show rather than yours. But that um, um, if you heard me typing in the background, it was me looking for, um. Uh yeah, it was me looking for theatre ticket stuff. So there wasn't it wasn't just me doing something else. Um, <laughs> but the show does sound really good and like it's. Uh, let's say here we go. General Secretary, eighth to twenty fourth of April. Um, but well, very glad we got you on the show to at least uh to know about a thing to do rather thank than you. um thank you for letting well, me plug than, it that's all right i mean 
Um, I don't know. I don't know if this is something you guys have to do as like because you're now resident artists. The idea of um, like measuring success and like kind of having outlines, particularly if you're applying for funding. Um, so I don't know how we could measure success from the plopcast plug. Um, <laughs> but uh, cool. I'll keep the side up to book tickets. I was going to say Amazing. as well, Georgie. That's just just the description of the show. Just reminded me of something you like might be uh, might be interested in. Just even if it's just maybe just for research to glance at but there's a uh there's this like performance art group that i've sort of really gotten into over like the past few years called um wham city um and they're based in uh they're based in Baltimore. well they were based in baltimore i think they might have moved to like los angeles now but they did um they did these two like live i guess you call them plays for uh i don't know if you do you know uh, adult swim Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so uh, basically, they do these like uh, sort of like live. St- they did these live stream performances. Uh, they did. There's two of them. So there was uh, the Cry of Man, and then they did the Call of War. And basically, the Cry of Man is this like weird family uh, sort of soap opera, um, and I believe it's mostly improvised. And essentially, they just had uh, a telephone on the set. Uh, while they were streaming live and they put a phone number up on the live stream so people could just call in and the actors would like answer the phone on stage and like have a conversation with like the audience (laughs) member but in full character so that people could like call in and like influence where the show would go that Um, sounds amazing what a brilliant concept yeah it's it's nuts um and they're like uh each of like the members of the troupe sort of have their own stuff going on as well you know of just like side projects and stuff so that's kind of how i i found the troop through like um two of the guys in it uh there's a guy called alan resnick and uh what's the other guy robbie ratcliffe uh but they basically yeah they're part of this troop and um yeah it's just interesting how how it reminded me just with you saying like you're doing it as like a a, a live stream uh sort of performance uh it's just interesting kind of where you can go with that and hopefully we're going to see more of that though with the because uh, with the pandemic it's like putting the this set of like limitations but it's interesting how when you're actually given limitations you can actually be like way more creative because mm-hmm. you i guess you've got to work in a certain space i don't know if you found it like that with doing That's it as a live so stream true. yeah definitely and another project i've been working on actually um with another friend who is uh, another partnership um phoebe hit who i write with is that we just decided to um to write a a script together for um a pilot for like a radio comedy and yeah we wouldn't have done that otherwise we just sort of gave ourselves deadlines because we wanted to talk to each other every week and Mm. sort of thought well why don't we just try and come up with something and then you know we've (laughs) we've got something to talk about at least (laughs) not just that but also that um and yeah we're actually i'm gonna do another plug now um shamelessly another plug uh which is we're doing a uh script read through with um with some fantastic actors um of that script which is still very much a work in progress um, but that's on the 6th of april um at 7 30 and it's completely free and anyone can join and all feedback very welcome i will give you a link for that one as well please um, yeah that's quite yeah, cool please though, do. To me. that's like a almost a because i think for some reason in 
I think it's because over the past few years, I think people, like, viewers have gotten, like, way, way more... I want to say, like, nosy, but it's maybe worse than that, just because of, I think it's the way, like, reality TV's gone. People these days seem to have this obsession with, like, wanting to look into, like, other people's, like, lives and stuff, you know, whether it's through, like, fucking TikTok or Instagram and stuff. Anyway, my point is, uh, a script read-through that's, like, shown is really cool because it's kind of like a peek behind the curtain at, like, how the sausage is made, you know, before you <laughs> actually see the thing. So I think that's really good for people to be able to see uh, actors actually... Uh, sitting around and learning a script or like testing things to see how things work and i think it's actually quite brave of you to do that as well because I know, I know sometimes people just sort of uh could be a bit more guarded because like it'll be like oh well you know we want to only show the finished product but i think it's quite nice to sort of show people hey you know ever wondered what playwrights and and directors and actors do before they start rehearsing well this is what it's like it's a read through so that's that's really cool i was going to add to the fact that when you they I wouldn't say personally, I know I completely agree about the, the nosiness in terms of people's lives generally, like the, the behind the behind the scenes, so actually what trying to see how people's heads work or what makes them tick, um, whether it be for schadenfreude or kind of like uh, depressive comparisons. But um, the idea, I, I think personally, about the intrigue about learning what's behind the scenes is that I think now more than ever, with every, even every passing month, it's sort of, it's, easier in terms of tools and opportunities and role models to kind of to get into for example like uh radio comedy writing as just you know but the same could be said for music could be said for like making tv shows or even films which people you know you can get handheld cams which like you know 30 years ago were just coming onto vhs it were a complete pain to use so I think also if people people like that having a sort of a breadth of not just things to watch and be inspired from in terms of finished products but also the kind of seeing how people do things behind the scenes and I guess it's kind of I mean maybe in a few years you know in some time down the line we might go back to like there's actually so much behind the scenes stuff that we kind of can't really filter it out but um, no I think I think that's a really good idea to have like a and also it's something that you can quite easily live stream as well. So something which is are you you're live streaming on on you, Georgie? Yes. This, yeah, sixth of April we did say. Yeah. Um, do send us a link to that because that sounds that actually sounds really cool. It would be great. I think like one thing that I always, I suppose, one piece of advice that um I learnt a while ago that reigns true is that you can never really create anything in isolation. Like you can you can you know sit down for ages and ages and ages and work on something and then polish it and polish it until you're really pleased with it you're like yes this is brilliant but then you put it in front of somebody else's eyes and they will spot and they will spot and they will spot a plot flaw straight away and then you're like oh my god i could have resolved that ages ago um so i think it's even though sometimes it's really tough and especially when you know something's a bit crap is just to share it because as soon as you get it out there it becomes so much easier and you just sort of just become so much more comfortable with doing that but it is really tough especially when it's something that means so much to you well i i was going to actually pick your brains about writing which i know that like uh, you'll probably notice with this show we go off on all sorts of tangents so like there's never like the the interview style of here's my questions (laughs) you know um but so tom and i've talked about writing a fair bit on the show in terms of 
I think we've probably linked it more with kind of motivation. And mm. so uh, you said something, you know, writing in isolation kind of, it, it's not as complete. And you, you talked about the idea of um, you, the, the one thing you can't do on your own is actually tested to an audience. But um, I don't know if you have any tips for, in terms of like motivating one's self to write, because a couple of examples that it's sometimes hard to write without an opportunity because you sort of feel that you're writing in vain and i know that you should i'd say one, I, i'd say i suffer I, from that just to give my yeah. my two senses um like i haven't written for like ages um and i mean like one of the things i, I have mentioned to like a few people is i've hopefully going to try to start this like literary blog essentially where i just sort of review every i'm gonna try and review everything i've ever like read or seen or listened to uh just just to like at least get an online portfolio going but as far as like and also to like try my hand and build up some chops with like writing non-fiction uh but like yeah as far as writing writing fiction seriously like i haven't actually like sat down and written pretty much since i finished uni um and yeah that is my issue is the uh I, I kind of don't have any motivation because it's like, well, what is the opportunity? And ultimately, though, the, the motivation should be get something finished so you can send it off, you know? But uh, it's easier said than done, really. But uh, yeah, I would very be very interested to sort of hear, like, not just your motivation, but also maybe your, like, process. Uh, again, if you don't mind letting us sort of see your, <laughs> you know, your style and behind the scenes. Oh, my God, of course. I mean, it's it's like... I am the absolute worst at writing. I will find absolutely every reason not to do it, um, to put it off. I need a deadline, that's like for sure, and I need it to be a serious deadline. Um, otherwise, I would write nothing. Um, I think also the thing that's the hardest is is that thing that you're saying is like, oh yeah, I need to have something to send off. I, you know, like it has to be this big, important work. It's got mm. to be the leather bound, incredible piece of writing that's going to change everyone's lives. But most of my best ideas have definitely come from something really fucking stupid or just something <laughs> like that will never work. Or I'll write something down on a post-it note and then, or I'll just, I, I'm I literally, the notes page on my phone is full of ridiculous, stupid little ideas. Some of which have actually developed into things that have become shows or sketches or, or bigger ideas. But it's so important that you just make sure that you give yourself time to throw stuff away I remember uh, somebody saying to me, if you're really struggling with writer's block, just like put two great big lines through a page, ruin the page so that, and then write on a ruined page because psychologically that just does something that like lets you off the hook, lets you go a bit. And That's I awesome. think yeah. also doing morning notes, I think is brilliant. It's, <laughs> I, say, I say all this stuff and I don't do it myself, but when I do do it, it makes a really big difference. I don't know if either of you have read um, The Artist's Way, but like there's no, that's I've just not an example it, no. of one of these books that is brilliant for just helping you to get in that habit and that routine. And yeah, and just in the morning, just writing things down or saying to you, putting a timer on the clock and just saying, well, okay, as long as I write five minutes of absolute shite every day, um, then I've written something and yeah, part absolutely. of being a writer is writing you know you will take the cream off the top but you've got to get all that other shit out in order to get the cream so the, uh, it's, the it's really, and the really way. hard 
exactly yeah the curds in the way all those <laughs> lumpy bits at the bottom <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean i'm not even sure if that is how you make cream uh i don't know it's, it's been a while it's been a while since i, I was a dairy keys. farmer um, but yeah one thing i can strongly recommend is just saying to yourself i'm gonna write the stupidest most absolutely just something that's totally irrelevant to the world because once you've written that you'll get you'll get a spark something will come it's just about letting yourself off the hook not putting too much pressure on when you're putting pen to paper actually i'm talking about the you you mentioned the the stuff that's come about from like minimal planning or just like the stuff which seems i I know when you see when you say stupid it's kind of like um if you said it in public like it's kind of something that might bring about laughter or just like or confusion you know it's rather than it being like the fully fleshed out dramatic plot um but yeah i i I, i'm very guilty of kind of going like i've got all these ideas let's form them out and i will eventually write them rather than going well what i want to write now i'm like I, i completely agree that like I mean, really, unless unless you are, um, you know, if you have an agent and you've got a book deal, no one's actually asking you to write. So I guess you can, in a way, take the pressure off yourself and kind of go, well, I'll just go what? I'll just do what I want to do. And um, in terms of write, doing the lines to the page, I know someone who, um, whenever they get a, no- a new notebook, which is a lovely thing to have, you don't really want to use it. Because um, stationery is such a lovely thing, you don't want to dare use mm. it. It looks so pretty. Um, but he always makes the thing of tearing the first page out, so the notebook itself is already ruined. Because mm. if, he's, if he's worrying about filling it with shit, then like ripping the first page, well, well it's already kind of shit now. So that kind of, that kind of takes the pressure off, it, or at least, um, like your your method is like saying like, how do you deal with the blank page? Like make it non-blank in exactly. a way, fill it with something, and it's like, how do you deal with the first page? Right on the second page, or like remove the first page entirely. Yeah, um, it's just playing psychological games with yourself <laughs> and just it's getting your brain into that state where you actually can be creative. And it's uh, like it's why I always write with somebody else because I find that's the best way to get something out of me, but but yeah, I do do have to find a way of overriding all my self-doubt and uh and lack of self-belief when when it comes to just alone in a room pen and paper. <laughs> Because I've I've got to, got to the point of I mentioned this probably at least three times on the show over however many other episodes that um, sometimes I've almost avoided inspiration because then it's like oh I'm inspired then it means you could go and do something and then it's like well do, going to do that thing means you could then fail so like ultimately nipping inspiration in the bud protects me from failure but that's a really poor mindset to have. Um, <laughs> that's the brain, but, isn't it? That's just yeah, that's yeah. so familiar. I <laughs> empathise with yeah. That. I don't. I, I never quite understand the. As human beings, we have we have achieved a lot, and not just. I mean, if you look at it on the animal scale, if you look at it in uh, ecological, in terms of uh, look at it in terms of intelligence, things we've built, uh, whatever metric you want to do, um, our brains are still not very good at like accepting doing these things. Like we still have a seventy thousand year old brain. Um, that doesn't want to do addition doesn't want to have to spend any energy it doesn't have to um because we're still wired to run after our food rather than get food delivered to us while we concentrate on one thing at our computer so i I, i'm always perpetually amazed how anything gets done ever if i if if my brain is anything to base anything off which of course it isn't um i am perpetually amazed that anything gets done at all um maybe that maybe that's just me being a pessimist uh, 
or maybe or maybe it's being optimistic i'm always amazed that shit gets done um when people come up with business ideas i don't know how to do that um, <laughs> I, I also find it interesting as well about how you do write with other people because that's something i've never actually done like i've never actually had the opportunity to do um I mean, unless I vaguely, I think I vaguely maybe did it when I was at uni. I think one of the actual uh, modules might have been, I think it was like to have to write a collaborative play, but I mean, it was just kind of like, I mean, that was in a situation where I like had to do it. But as far as like choosing to write with someone and choosing the person, you know, um, I would really like to do that. So that's something I should probably try at some point. Um, Cause I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm guessing like, do, do you sort of treat it as kind of like a, like a writer's room type situation do you sort of i mean i'm just wondering with with the situation at the moment do you do like a live call or yeah it it really depends um who i'm working with but i mean on with um phoebe we will uh work on one document and it will be a word document and we'll change the title to the draft number each time so oh, that nice. we've got like way back when of all the different edits we made so if we change our minds we can always go back a step and we will change it and add comments so if there's something if there's somewhere where because and it was actually i'm going to interrupt what i'm saying to say this but <laughs> i listened to phoebe waller bridge do a q a after she did a run of fleabag before it got made into um a uh before it got made on bbc3 um or on the bbc i don't know if it was bbc3 i think it was on just the bbc anyway i digress um and she said that because she writes um with another person as well and she said that the most important thing with giving feedback is you give praise you give more praise and then you say what you're confused about and that criticism should in no way come into it because if you are receiving feedback and somebody is telling you the good bits in the script, you're gonna feel good about what you've written, but it's also gonna show you the bits that work. And then suddenly the bits that don't work are going to become really clear. And if somebody's confused about something, then you're gonna ask yourself, okay, why is that in there actually? You know, what is maybe this paragraph doing? Is it adding anything to the story? Is it developing anything? Or was it just a thing that my brain put in there because it made sense at the time, but mm. now I can get rid of it. So we operate on a Word document comments thing that if we do change anything to it, we'll highlight it in yellow because we're very precious about our own writing and it's really important to respect that within each other and i mean we we also both have days where we're just like no it doesn't work i don't agree with that and you, you're always gonna have that in whatever partnership you're working in because you both have different brains and you both think that your idea is superior of how you're going to end this but if you if you just make sure that you're always praising that other person because as artists we're so bloody vulnerable and insecure about our work oh absolutely um, and you have to protect the ego at all costs <laughs> um but then with cassie who i do the thick and fast shows with um we write more for live and we will work on a running um google doc and we'll just be writing stuff at the same time and we will almost like finish each other's sentences it, it's sort of like slightly different in how we do that um, and we also will just get up and improvise something. And that really, really helps in terms of developing dialogue that feels really authentic because you put yourself in that position like, okay, what would I actually say? And 
I think it's a really good thing for if you're writing fiction to get actors in or to have somebody bring your thing to life because even just body language it's it's difficult to portray that across but when you're seeing it and you're watching it and it works that can help to develop your writing I don't think that's answered the question at all but no but it's an amazing writing, idea I, think, <laughs> the I love the idea process, of a just gonna say Sorry. like yeah it's i was just gonna say it's like yeah it's an amazing idea to like you say get actual actors in to like once you see it yeah essentially get brought to life and you can sort of start to understand what works and what doesn't work um but I, I also just love the fact that you said that you and your your comedy partner you have that like almost like perfect synergy of like you're saying you know you, you finish each other's sentences and like you know you could write at the same time and improv and stuff i mean that's like I think that's like the dream for when you're writing comedy, I would imagine, is to just have yeah. someone that you're uh, constantly firing, you know, b bouncing ideas off and stuff. Because I've, I've been, the closest I've got is like, because I often say to people that I think I'm, I'm not particularly funny, <laughs> like when I'm on my own. Uh, but if I'm in like a, you know, for example, if we use like the, the bad film night as an example, <laughs> I tend to find that I can make my friends laugh. But it's because like, I think my friends like bring it out of me um so i do think yeah i think there really is something to be said for for writing in in a group or or in a in a, in a duo well yeah. it's the whole reason that got us to do the podcast is because he wouldn't shut up um, when we <laughs> yeah true true i guess that is where this came um, from actually something i was going to ask you georgia i i'm i'm actually making notes here like this is the, the very informative show i mean not, we make notes either if we're doing role-playing stuff to keep track of all the shit that's happened <laughs> or in this instance where we're we're, we're learning um so talking about kind of opportunity and because you said that you're getting actors in to read what you've what you've produced which is amazing and i think obviously there's an element when you're seeking out opportunities there is a vast amount of bravery to say i'm giving you this and then obviously knowing that it's like it could be terrible but i'm gonna be brave and submit it anyway and that's not that's not a comment about you and your writing is in that that's what one might think about one's own work oh not everybody, just body yeah yeah, not least of all because you're so used to it that you kind of the the novelty is completely gone by the you know after a few pages and also if you've sat on ideas for a long time, then there's you're not going to find any novelty in it. So you might as well kind of just get on with it, and then someone else will say, oh, "I actually really like that," and you'd completely forgotten about the synthesis of that idea and how pleased you were when you first came up with it. But um, in terms of opportunities, I know that like you can, I know there's like Reddit threads for various competitions, even though like. Um, every time I've been on Reddit, I've just been told off for something. Um, not like yeah, breaking the law. Which is, yeah, that does sound well, no, like Reddit. Well, it's more just people saying, I just post a question and they kind of go like, hi, just to let you know, read the rules, look at the size stuff, have a good day. And it's like, oh, fine, whatever. Um, so it's me not reading, but it's just like, oh, I don't need this. But um, And also when you look at what's out there, it's kind of um, like I've... I know I've submitted stuff to like BBC Writers Room stuff way before they're ready, and that's my own fault. But um, you sometimes look around and kind of go, yeah, there's like a, uh, a sort of a strange bitterness where you can kind of go like, one, you're really some things really inspire you to make good TV, radio, music, whatever. And then sometimes you're gonna go, it's like, oh, this passes for for good. It's like, oh, fuck this then. Oh, you know, when you. Um, kind of that's another type of inspiration like seeing a bad Edinburgh show you can kind of go like is this passing for a show I can do that <laughs> um but I was wondering like 
where you might source your opportunities from not necessarily like a specific place but like um how you go about finding people to cast is it kind of self-organized um are you part of like a network is there just um like i kind of mentioned before is it just like there's a listening of like internet pages that you can just search just do a very basic search about um radio uh radio sitcom pilot trials as an example um yeah, to to boil that down, like what kind of tools you utilise to find these opportunities? Um, that's a really good question, and um, there's definitely two answers to that. In the sort of uh, the preliminary sense, I always go onto the BBC Writers Room website. That's great because they sort of have uh, a running feed of opportunities that are upcoming um, that you can write something for, or maybe you've got something that you can submit straight away. Um, and that's great. You know, it's all going to be verified because they wouldn't put it on there if it wasn't legitimate. Um, and Newsjack, I write for Newsjack every freaking time. I've yet to have something <laughs> appear on the show, but it's such a good exercise to like really quickly turn around um, uh, material that is kind of like political and of the moment. Um, and then I think that in terms of uh, writing and if you're looking for actors or anybody like it sounds like such a cliche um, but put it out to the universe it's amazing what one tweet will do saying I need some actors of this description please help me out here retweet this um, because people are always wanting to help and if it sounds like an exciting project those people are going to get interested they're going to feel engaged um, and they're going to want to know about it and you know creating hype and a need saying that there is a need for your work is is quite a big part of writing as well um and then i think also following just sort of production companies and um even uh if it's radio you want to write for radio producers if it's you know like netflix you want to write for follow the people who are netflix writers because often they'll post about something else that's happening that will lead you on to something else it's sort of like the Twitter sphere in terms of word of mouth of opportunities, I think it it's really, really helpful. Um, and then the third part of answering this question is another cliche entirely, is to make your own opportunity. And that just being, if you think you have a brilliant idea, if you have something that you want to share with the world, just set it up, self-produce, cast your friends. It's never gonna be the best, but you're gonna you're gonna have created an opportunity rather than just sitting down and thinking oh, okay that doesn't belong anywhere therefore i can't release it into the world um so it's really really hard and i haven't cracked it yet i'm still left right and center trying to create stuff and i use the expression all the time it's it's throwing shit at the wall um and often the things that 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 work really well aren't the things that you suspect are going to um, it is a case of right place, right time sometimes with just what people are going to, what's going to ch chime into people and, and resonate with people. Um, yeah, I hope that helps, but. No, it does. It's, um, well, you say that you haven't quite cracked it. I mean, like, um, I know that comparison is the thief of joy, but, um, <laughs> at least from where Tom and I are sitting, which is sort of, um, in some regards, at least I can speak for myself saying pretending to be a writer. Um, <laughs> no, but, you are um, a writer. You're both writers. You know that. Well, you thank need you. to say it. <laughs> to yeah, it. maybe it's one of those like. Um, I was very, very kind of you. Moments. 
Um, well, also, thanks so much for that answer because I literally just, as you were talking, I quickly opened up like a note-taking app and just got a, some of that <laughs> down. I mean, I'm going to go back and listen to this again because some of that is stuff that I... I mean, you're helping me and Sam out first and foremost because there, there is... <laughs> oh, I think... I'm- I was just going to say, like, I think that, yeah, like, opportunity is is kind of one that I do kind of need to look for because I don't know, like, how many times... I'm going to have to ask him again, uh, but I don't know how many times, like, I've asked Ludo, like, can you, like, send me a link to, like, a website where there's, like, a list of, like, um, either, like, websites or journals that, like, take short story submissions. Um, um, I'll tell, tell you what I'll do, Tom, as well. I know I'm not, I know I'm not Ludo, but... Um, Something which was quite good that I did on the National Centre for Writing, which is generally a brilliant site anyway. I only know about it because um, we're we're a stone's throw away from here in Norwich. But um, they have a free course called Know Your Publishing Options. And that's quite a good insight into various like publishing outlets. Um, and it includes like the big like the big publishers, but also um there's sort of publishers which there's the idea of self-publishing but there's also like um there are sites which suit serialization of stuff there's stuff where um it's kind of like a halfway house where you send stuff and um publishers will if they like your book i can't remember the name of the site but if they like your book idea they'll then crowdfund for it to then be published and so it's kind of it's good for like getting your foot in the door so there's a um have a look at know your publishing options on the national center for writing um, they also have quite a good will. they have um one of their sci-fi courses is free as well which is the um i think it's like world building about sci-fi and it talks about stuff like very similitude and talks about the, the different types of worlds and gives you some exercises um but yeah those those are just quite you know um not least of all give, gets you in the in the kind of the mindset um and also, if you like stuff like fantasy or sci-fi, have a look at... It's a paid service, but look at notebook.ai. I used it for a bit. And you can organise shit into characters, locations, items, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I'm not affiliated professionally with any of these services. I just have used them. Um, I think the other one as well, but, uh, just for anyone who's interested, I guess, is also... And again, it's another one from uh, from Ludo, is, is he is the he is our resident contact, our industry contact. Uh I think it's just one that's the uh, it's called the writer's yearbook, and there's just one for each year. Oh yeah, I'm guessing the tw- the 2022 one will be out soonish, if not already. But apparently, that's just like a a directory of um, I think publishing houses and and agents and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I think the thing is though, I mean, I'm I'm thinking way too far ahead because like I just need to uh, get some short stories finished, just just so that I've got the thing rather than, I guess, worrying about publishing just yet, but, yeah. Exactly, um, it's putting the cart before the horse. You need to get exactly. just get some shit down, make it terrible, make it really, really bad, um, and allow yourself to to do those those failed attempts because they're so important. Yeah, This is going to sound really pretentious, but um, the way I look at it sometimes is that when you, particularly in a longer-form thing, you typically, if you imagine that your, your written piece is a street... Um, and generally, you haven't actually got the whole street illuminated. You only got the lampposts on, um, and so you you can see kind of um, like only where the lampposts have illuminated on the street, and then otherwise you just have to write blindly sometimes to get between those two points. So well, like you might have an idea. I, I suppose what I the mistake I've been making is that I have a street that like not only are, are all the lamps broken, but I'm trying to drive like a tank down it. 
so i think uh yeah yeah i think there's there is something to be said for like that's another one as well uh sorry sam i know i sort of partially interrupted you as well but i'm just gonna quickly say it before i forget it um so like last well what would have been last week or what will be last week's episode for us i guess uh we talked about about william gaddis which is like a writer that i'm sort of a bit obsessed with um he actually mentioned in an interview the idea of like wanting to write and wanting to be a writer and why they're sort of like two different things um and that's something that i sort of need to crack as well because yeah i do want to be a writer and i want to be a published author and i want a book with my name on it yada yada but i also i what more importantly you need to crack actually just wanting to sit and write because that's it <laughs> you know all, all the other stuff comes later um so yeah uh, i was actually also going to ask georgie as well just because i'm i'm interested um with you being like a comedy writer and getting into comedy writing and performance and stuff do you have like any favorite um sort of writers or like a favorite piece of drama recently or not recently or just stuff that say is maybe like any old favorites i'm not going to ask for your favorite play because i always think that question's ridiculous it's better to ask someone for like their top 20 or something but um <laughs> yeah do you have any favorites or any that you always sort of look to for inspiration or stuff that got you into it in the first place Again, it's a really good question, and um, and every you catch me at any different time of the day, and I'll probably give you a different answer um, oh, depending same on here. my mood. Because there's, in terms of comedy, I mean, there's so much, uh, like so much that uh, that really inspired me um, that I just loved growing up. Um, but in terms of in terms of plays. Um, I was thinking about this one that I saw recently I say recently I mean like maybe two years ago <laughs> the Hampstead Theatre was Gloria which is a play by Brandon Jacob Jenkins um that is just really good and it's it's I think a really good example of how comedy can work really well in in drama and it's just mm. one of those plays that starts off really funny and then I think it's like in the second or the third act a certain incident takes place that just completely flips it on its head um and i love how he uses comedy in that play to then completely unsettle you um and and it's really insightful it says kind of a lot about um uh, a lot about uh, america and the particular industry in which these people work i don't want to give any spoilers away but i would definitely recommend reading the play i think it's fantastic um oh no definitely i'll get hold of that yeah there's there's so many influences i should have thought harder about this um question but i also think no it's all right i i admit i have dropped it on you so it's fine (laughs) there's so much comedy that comes from things that isn't necessarily supposed to be comedy i mean at the moment i've been watching just like lots of um lots of the the news anyway but the news in that um in the show that we're creating um we have a running scene where we're playing two news anchors and so desperately trying to find those really awkward and funny moments within uh, that situation oh i love stuff like that yeah where little like whether it's like lines get fluffed or like uh yeah the sort of uh fucking awkwardness of like yeah the bbc news sometimes exactly yeah uh, and it shouldn't, it's like it's so serious like often they're bringing terrible terrible news to the world um and then when something goes wrong it is just so desperately funny um do you know what might be a cool i mean you've probably already seen this but um i 
uh, just because I've been really struggling to sleep recently and I've been ended up getting up like really early. I've been watching um, a lot of like, I just stick it on in the background, but I've been watching like a lot of like the BBC, BBC One News breakfast segment. Um, mm-hmm. And okay. uh, it's not, so this is not to be confused with the two anchors that do it sometimes, which is I think, I think we're called Dan and Louise. Uh I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. If you see, I think I know. I think I know who you're talking yeah. about. So, yeah. so those pair are, are great, and I, I love, uh, I, I love watching them. But then the other two, uh, who I'm just going to slag off mercilessly. Don't worry, guys. You could always just disagree with me, so you're not complacent in this. This is just, this is just Tom going off on one. But I, I fucking hate. Uh, is it Charlie and uh, Naga Munchetti, who are like oh. the. Uh, do you really like them? I don't. I don't mind them. I wouldn't say okay. that I love them. But <laughs> I, uh, come yeah, on, come I, on, tell us why. So I just, I, I, it's really bizarre, but it's like they're just the show has sort of almost turned into this like really, really terrible like double act comedy routine. Um, <laughs> I just find them to be like so unprofessional, um, and not only that, but I think they both think that they're really funny. Um, and and recently, just to kind of put the final sort of cherry on on the sort of the. The, the top of the cake is they went on Saturday Kitchen, which is a uh, a show I really like. Actually, I do like watching Saturday Kitchen on a on a Saturday uh, when I'm early, up early enough for it. But they were guests on that, and after their appearance on it, I didn't actually see the episode, but I want to watch like the recap of it because the BBC received like 700 complaints um, about their behaviour, um, just because apparently they were like really rude and. Um, yeah, and I like. I just think that maybe it might just be worth l- looking that up because that sounds like a perfect real-world example <laughs> yeah. of what you're sort of trying to recreate. But I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean from watching them on the news because I just find their like delivery of like they'll do like the delivery of like a super serious topic or like some sort of breaking news about COVID or something, and then they'll like turn to each other and make like a little a little joke or something, and it just it won't be funny. But you can just tell that they think that they themselves are so funny and they're not. <laughs> and it is the most awkward thing ever. It's like, yeah, it might as well be on a comedy show. It's that bad, you know. <laughs> okay, um, right. I'm, after this chat, I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to Google that because that sounds, yeah, right up my street. That, that I, awkward, I, desperately trying to be funny. Um, I'd, I'd say the maybe to start with, because even though I haven't seen it yet, it might be like the best example just because it receives so many complaints is try and catch some of the um saturday kitchen stuff because that made the news that actually made i saw on the bbc news like the the headline like said on my my bbc news app it actually said uh over 700 complaints about this appearance and i was like whoa what the fuck and i started reading it so that might be a good place to start and maybe see what made that so bad and then maybe see if someone I, i don't think i'm the only person who gets so angry at it there must be more of us um, but I'm sure someone online must have made maybe a YouTube compilation of their like cringe sections. You know what I mean? Uh, they must have done because yeah, it, it makes me furious. Unless I am legit I'm... the only one who has this massive problem with them. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to find. Um, speaking of um, the merits of complete crap, um, I mean, in, in terms of films and whatnot, the only stuff I've seen is just shit. Um, I think I've I think I've got to a point where like it's good because you don't really have to like if I'm watching something I've got to a point where I try and pay attention and see what works and like um, kind of remember what I enjoy about it sometime after I've done the enjoying. 
but uh watching shit kind of um takes that onus away from me somewhat but um something i forgot to send you tom and i think you might appreciate this georgie is um a few years ago you know the comedian nick helm mm-hmm. um shouty man pretends to sing at the end um you might have to maybe he, rem- remind me but go on um he i think there was something a piece in chortle about three years ago about um when he talks about when he bombed at live at the apollo um and bear in mind that i think live at the apollo is like um, i think you can get like 18 grand a pop for doing a show there um, also it, and... live at the apollo is fucking awful sorry i don't know if like either That's of you right. are massive That's... fans but i just find again bombing at live at the apollo might actually be more of a badge of badge of honor really because i think yeah it's quite hard you have to get <laughs> yeah. through many sort of uh, gatekeepers before you or sick of sycophants kind of thing i thought i sorry i thought you meant sycophants in the audience i thought in terms of you can have, I think you can bomb, have both yeah. though because it's like yeah you know it, it you watch the usually just flick on live at the apollo and it's just the most fucking lowest common denominator humor you know uh it's like i mean i'm not a massive fan of observational comedy but i mean observational comedy can be really funny but like yeah it's just ugh, i don't know yeah i'm not a live at the apollo fan sorry carry on sam um but yeah no, i was just gonna send you that, that clip of nick helm rel- relatively bombing um but, um, Fantastic. I think it's just. Um, I mean, I don't know how much I like cringe because I watched. Um, I watched most of the UK Office fairly recently, only like a year or two ago. But I watched half of it like through my fingers, like just having them over my eyes. Like I could, I don't, know, I can hear this or I could see this. I don't know if I can do both. <laughs> I just love it though, because um, like, a lot. I, I was, I was actually. This reminds me. I was listening to this, um, this literary podcast that I sort of listened to, and. Um, I usually agree completely with what the what the hosts say most of the time. I think they're quite like-minded people, and I really I really value their opinions. But what one of them at one point like brought up that they hated the Office, and I was like, oh, I was like, how can you hate the Office? But to be fair, I think it is because some people do struggle with cringe humor, and it's totally fine because I think the cringe is like it's like a gland or it's like a muscle that you have <laughs> in your body, and you have to like exercise it regularly to like build up a tolerance. So I do totally understand the um, yeah what watching The Office through your fingers because it's so like humiliating, um, but I think that's part of what makes it so genius. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, it's fair enough though because I think you do have to maybe just build up your tolerance a bit before you can uh, get into the really cringy stuff. Um, it, I don't know if you get off the top of your head if there are. Um if there's any other source of inspiration because um i've actually not thought to look at um, real life fuck-ups i've totally looked at fictional ones um in terms of bad films but like okay i guess they have a basis in real life like bad production values um but um i don't know if you, like you mentioned about um the news going wrong i don't know if there are any other sources as well georgie that you can think of um even maybe just recent stuff that's kind of propelled you further um in terms of inspiration do you mean oh yeah inspiration or it could be like or even you could even have stuff that's off-putting you've done that you've seen something kind of go like well i don't want to do that either i was actually (laughs) good yeah i was thinking like maybe uh, i mean i suppose i probably shouldn't put you on the spot with this but i know that one that i've heard from like sam and from ludo because i mean i know you guys have been the fringe quite a few times i mean I, i only went the once when we did uh did that play uh together uh but um yeah, it's funny that I should have mentioned that earlier, but yeah, 
me, Georgie, and Sam were all in a were all in a play together, and we took it to the fringe, and it was great. Uh, yeah, and I really wish I, w- I really wish I could act again because I really enjoyed that. <laughs> like, because I I haven't acted in ages. I did a bit of acting in sick form and really liked it, and then I got lucky enough to do the uh, the one play in uh, in uni. I mean, that was one of my biggest regrets was that I didn't go along to any footnotes meetings, especially when it got to the point where I was basically by third year I was I was living with like a third of the committee <laughs> so it's like i really should have gone down and had a go at comedy writing but anyway i digress um yeah i was gonna say like do you, have you ever been to like edinburgh and and seen something because what my point i was going to say was while i was at the fringe i didn't see like many stinkers if you know what i mean um most of the stuff i took a punt on was pretty good um or it was stuff that people had said I'd come back to the flat and said, oh, we've just been to see this. Go, go catch the next show and you'll like it. Um, yeah, because I, I generally don't tend, to, I don't tend to take a punt on things. I'm a bit yeah. like, I'm probably like, I don't do it correctly in a way. I don't, I don't do a proper fringe. I, just, I tend to see who I want to see and then go by word of mouth about uh, yeah. halfway through. So um, I was going to ask Georgie, like, have you maybe been to any uh, where you've been in the audience watching it through cross fingers? Or, or worse, have you been to any where you've walked out? <laughs> Oh my god! Do you know I'm actually really disappointed to say I haven't been to any real stinkers recently. It's all been, all been pretty like, good. <laughs> yeah, which is so you have disappointing such good taste. because I love a good stinker. A good stinker makes you reevaluate every aspect of yeah. your self and like why you chose to. Oh, I, I yeah, I love a good stinker, but um, sadly not. No. Although actually, do you know what? Controversial, but I went. It wasn't necessarily a stink. No, it was actually. It was a stinker of a Zoom gig. Um, which Zoom itself, everybody knows that's really, really hard. And um, I actually watched... It's not fair to say it was a stinker because it wasn't a stinker. It just didn't... It wasn't It, it wasn't bad enough to be a stinker. But I actually watched Tim Key do a set um, oh. just before Christmas on a Zoom gig. And it just it just didn't do it for me it was just i'm gonna say it it was bad and it made me so sad because it made me miss being in a crowd because i reckon in a different place that would have just been absolutely brilliant and it would have transformed and he would have riffed off audience uh laughing at him and it would have worked so well and it just goes to show that actually sometimes something can be a stinker but the next night it can absolutely kill um and it's all about the vibe it can like one person in a room can really change the atmosphere it's a strange thing it's almost like a superstitious thing but it's mad. i I totally agree it's like um you you sometimes start to realize like uh how the medium or like the uh that barrier of being on a zoom call can affect something whether it's a conversation or an actual performance um i mean like I had a, uh, I had like a, I don't think I call it a job interview, but it was like a, the guy pitched it in the email as an informal chat, so I sort of treated it as such. But uh, I had sort of this like half, I had like this pre-job interview interview uh, around December time, um, and it was fucking horrible. The guy was like a complete cunt, um, which was really <laughs> strange because like uh, he was really horrible to me over Zoom, and it was like. It was really weird because it was like if I'd come into say like an office, would he have spoken to me like that, or like was he speaking to me like this? Because like I could see where he was in his house; he was like in his kitchen, 
Um, so it was like, yeah, does the Zoom medium add these like these extra little elements to like a thing, whether it be a performance or a conversation? It's 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 interesting, and like you say, sometimes it's the audience, isn't it? Like, mm. if you're doing it live in a in a club setting or in a gig setting, is well exactly like you say one night you could have a set of jokes that make people laugh and you think oh these are like these are solid i'll keep these in the set say if it's stand up or something or if it's if it's improv you'll go oh well we'll use this again but then the next night it might yeah because it's different people it might be completely different so no it's it's no it's interesting but yeah it's also annoying strange about the whole nature of a zoom gig though is is strange to me it's annoying that what the effect of having performers friends in the audiences could be because particularly with like student contests is like actually the friends just laugh at the stuff and it's oh, like oh i okay. hate that oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's just like oh, was... people just being a bring a big group of friends and they're not actually funny but you're you're having a good time because you're listening to other people having a good time it's infuriating but yeah yeah it totally I, there, can change it there's been a number of gigs where like I try and go see comedy on my own and then halfway through every time I've gone like a compilation show or something I've kind of always gone do you know what? I could be doing something else and then just leave <laughs> I don't, not, not like half like I'll leave in an interval I'm not that rude but like um, I think I've been spoiled by stuff like the Edinburgh Fringe and like select select like specials if you're going to call it using the American term um, but yeah I I I very much don't just rock up to any sort of show. I think I'm quite particular, which might like there might be a stubbornness on my part. Um, what were you saying just now, Tom? About because I had a point, it's completely vanished. Uh, you were talking about. Uh, please remember what you were talking about, because <laughs> I thought I'd had this brilliant know, I idea so, in my head. I was talking about a few a few things. It was kind of a big uh, a big sort of gumbo of uh, of, of topics. Yeah, so. I know. Yeah, what a delicious thing you're talking uh, about. I don't know. I mentioned about the Zoom gig. There was a job interview that was there it. somewhere. There we go. It's come back. It's come oh, back. Um, um, I am. So, I am good. <laughs> keep saying that. Like, if, if you listen to the show, keep saying that, Tom. I'm like trying to quietly clap my hands. <laughs> like, please, please give yourself that praise continually. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, so I I had an interview um, a couple of months ago. It was a panel interview for a PhD position, and um, there were four people on the panel. One person did pretty much most of the question asking and talking; like she was actually enthusiastic. Um, the other three uh, looked very forlorn. Uh, one one person didn't even say good morning or thank you or anything; like just was quiet for the entire thing. Um, and it was really fucking strange. I was like. Um, I don't know, I mean, like, it, it, a part of me could stereotype that, like, um, typically European bluntness, but then it's like, well, even without that, it's like, you could still say hello, like, even if you didn't mean it, like, you could still say, like, good morning and thank you, like, she, she didn't say, didn't even ask any questions, she was just like, well, what was, the, what was the fucking point of you waking up today? Um, if your job is, I mean, that's a bit extreme, but, like, if you're on, if you're on the fucking panel... And there'll be people being interviewed who are nervous and like want to get a, a a gauge of what your center of work is like. You can at least fucking say hello. Although um, I've um, I've heard that that's a strategy that they do. That you have a good cop, bad cop interviewer. That uh, there's always oh, one person yeah. in the interview that makes it more difficult for you, and the other yeah. person makes it easier. Maybe that person how you react. Maybe that person's usually really happy-go-lucky, but they just like did the names out of a hat that morning, and they were like, oh. All right, Smith. Looks like it's your turn to be the bad cop. And I'm like, oh, oh <laughs> I, I wanted to be the nice one this week. 
I remember when I was trying to uh, was looking to go into medicine like all that time ago. There's like one um, lecture in a series of lectures about um, getting into medical school, and someone said some interviewers will even use the glass of water as like a um, as a pivot point about how often you reach for the glass of water and whatnot. Um, I was just get a fucking calm down. Do you know what I mean? I know it's like you've got to have some sort of vetting process, but like. I don't know, maybe this is just me being, like, anti-career, but, like, oh, just fucking calm down. We're above this, aren't we, surely? Like, as human beings, we're, like... We're, isn't the drive to evolve not just fucking set up mind games in a fucking <laughs> paper distribution company? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, it's that's just... what's hilarious about it. It's not. It still completely is about... It's all about the mind games. I think even more so, like, now that we're living in this, like... I don't think COVID's done it... Done, is helped any but as far as this this digital world where we uh you know everything's communicated through a screen um and you know people value all these really weird things like you say like mind games and uh even something that really also- bu- really bugs me is like you know when you message someone on whatsapp and stuff like for example you know when i was messaging georgie um uh, there is this... <laughs> you just got to call him out. Because I really hate it. For example, yeah, no, 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 no. It's, it's it's more it's it's something that it says more about me. It's it's basically like I you know I'd send Georgie a message and I'm like sort of hyper aware of like oh man we haven't uh you know we haven't spoken in ages. I'll I'll just send this message of like oh hey how's it going uh, do you want to come on the podcast and then I'll send that and then I'll like read into it and be like oh man what if she like reads that as rude or like you know and there is this like layer of like when you message people through like text there's like it removes like tone so people will like read it and put their own like how can i say they'll project onto it yeah um it's fine when you're messaging friends because you know I'm, i'm very comfortable messaging most people uh but there is that added layer of like sometimes people will read into your messages where there is no where the intent isn't there or you'll do it to other people's messages if you see what i mean Unless I'm just being ma- oh, ma- yeah. massively oh, yeah. paranoid, but no, now that, now that you've elaborated, I, I do know what you mean. I think also something I've said before is actually um, as good as we have these media to catch up on digitally. Like there is a strange exhaustion with like doing Zoom calls, particularly if you, you like in conversation, you never have the opportunity to look at your face the entire time. You might look you look at other people's faces and look at the environment, but like um, it's really strange having your own performance played back to you in part, which you never normally have. Mm. Um, and so, like, you're kind of... I mean, again, I'm probably as paranoid as you, Tom, in some regards, but, like, um, like just kind of aware of how I come off, you know, like, you know, I'm slouching and whatnot. Um, and also, like, because you, you... Like, when you're in, in like, the world with people, you, you are able to read body language as well. Like, you're reading, like, things like posture... Um, you kind of uh you're just generally that bit more aware and i don't know there's a certain je ne sais quoi about being in the real world that you can kind of just click and sort of bounce off what's going on um it kind of looping back to performing stuff which is like you can it's really hard to really rehearse it in isolation because particularly with comedy so much of it at least a lot of the stuff i like so much of it plays off what's going on and then playing off what's going on if you have a bit of an improv skill, actually then elevates what you're doing. Mm. Not only will people think like, oh, you, you can improv reasonably well, but it's also more fun for you that there's elements of this unexpected. Um, otherwise, it's, it's just didactic. Um, 
uh, it's probably hypocritical of me to say didactic when I'm being didactic right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I've, I've I've ran out of steam there. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna st- I'll just keep acknowledging when I run out of steam. Like I'm gonna I'll know who's barred. I'm like something we were actually something we talked about just before we hopped on was the idea of always being in character. And I always say, like, even if you play as true to yourself in a performing act, you are still doing a persona because, I mean, at least Tom and I, you know, we started this because we have a way of talking and kind of um, elaborating on stuff in a, in a certain way um, that we like doing. But, like, ultimately, even being yourself in a sort of performing media is still a persona because you wouldn't do this in day-to-day life, really. Because even if you are true to yourself, that people don't normally do the you are going to sit here and listen to me for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. That doesn't happen. There's much more of a back and forth. Um, and people don't speak like they have an audience watching at home. Um, you know what I mean? Mm. Yes. Always... It's, uh... Sorry, carry on, Georgie. No, I was just going to say, yeah, we always... No one will ever know the you that is inside your head. We're always proposing a certain... Um, type of person and just yeah the way that we speak the things that we say the way we want other people to think about us so speak speaking of being a type of person have you enjoyed being a plot person i've loved being a plot person thank you very much for having me on board well thank you very much for coming along yeah thank you for coming on uh it's been a real pleasure and just really lovely to to talk to you both as well yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. It has it has been too long. Uh, you know. Yeah, I no, mean... I've I've really enjoyed catching up on the even if it's on like a like a recorded medium, but like it's. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I've said this before, but like, I I'm continuously amazed at how like, you can sort of pick things up again, sort of friendship wise. If if it's sort of like if it matters, and if you, you as you say you do put the effort in, it's like it is surprisingly easy, and it's really nice to be able to pick these things up again. Mm. Um, and then the amount of time feels not insignificant, but like it, it feels like that's not important. The important thing is the catching up you do. Of course, absolutely, yeah. I completely agree. It's been really nice. Um, yeah. I think that's a good place to end on rather than what we normally end on, which is me sighing. Um, <laughs> yes, that is a good place to end on. Or, or, saying yeah, I, but... or saying I can't do this anymore. Well, saying I, saying I can't do this anymore. Have, have yeah. I said that? No. No, I was just doing. I'm doing a oh, bit, okay. you know, like cause that's oh, my, okay. my character. Yeah, but it's yeah. No, I'll, I'll I'll go with that. Yeah. Okay, shall I stop? <laughs>